Cross the Strings Podcast, Season 6, we're back. This is a, you know, I've thought about it being additional on a drive, but I have more to say than the usual 15 to 20 minutes of addition on a drive. So it's probably more appropriately placed in flawed and uncut, uh, but it's not purely just a kip vulnerability session, which sometimes the flawed and uncut can be, which I, I, I prescribe to. I think out there, especially men, you should be vulnerable. You should share your grief, your angst, your sorrow. And then hopefully in sharing, you you process it, um, you metabolize it, and you can move forward from it. But I don't know if this is flawed and uncut. It might just be an episode um, that is a coaching and maybe parenting lean to it. And, and what I mean by that, I think I'm going to do a two-part series starting today. This will be part one, um, and we'll get into part two maybe at the end of the week. But it's about words matter uh, and the role vocabulary choice can play for us coaches, and I think if you think about it, for us as parents as well. So words matter, not an interview series because it's just Kip talking, but part one of words matters coming up next. Okay, here's what I want you, here's what I want you to do first. I want you, you're driving in your car right now because it's a podcast, so you're listening to me in your car and just visualize this. If you're actually sitting at home or you're out in the sun, you got your AirPods in, you're on a plane, whatever, I want you to think about um, and try to accomplish this next task, okay? And what I want you to do is try to remember as many of these letters as I'm about to read off as possible, okay? And if you're in your car, this is even better. Um, but, but it's going to be a great little test. If, if, you're, if you're sitting down somewhere, try this as well. I'm going to give you these letters coming up quickly. Everybody ready? All right. N-F-B-L-B-M-H-L-N. I'm going to give it to you one more time. N-F-B-L-B-M-H-L-N. Okay? Try to remember all those words. I'm going to give you five seconds right now. N-F-B-L-B-M-H-L-N. Okay, now say it back to yourself. How many of those could you get? I gave you nine letters. How many of those could you get? Okay, if you're in your car and you got all nine, you're a super genius, you should stop listening to me and you should immediately proceed to somewhere where you can get a platform and show the world how smart you are. And if you're like normal humans, however, you might have got three or four. Okay, but now I want you to retry this. Okay, and I'm still using my same voice, my same tone. I want you to retry the exercise we just did. So instead of me saying NFB, LBM, HLN, Keep driving, stay in the sun with your AirPods on the airplane. Now I want you to try to remember NFL, NHL, MLB. Try again. NFL, NHL, MLB. Go. Now, what I just did there, instead of NFB, LBM, HLN, I, had, I said NFL, NHL, MLB. And you probably, especially if you're a coach and you lean towards athletics um, and you have a, a concept or a, a following, a liking of athletics, you heard the NFL, National Football League, you heard NHL, and you heard MLB. Well, newsflash for you, those are the exact same letters I gave you the first time around. But this time, I chunked them. It's a concept called chunking. And I put them together. Instead of randomly, NFB, LBM, HLN, I gave you them in a way your brain chunks large amounts of information and recalls it without individual files. So NFL, instead of three letters, NFL cues up images, visuals, thoughts of football. You remember NFL in a chunked uh, version. So instead of three individual files, you got one big one. You could pull that up easily. Okay, That is a concept of chunking. 
And the reason I started with that is there's so much science and data and research out there. And that chunking I got from Nick Winkleman, the book's called The Language of Coaching. I've referenced this on here before. But words and memory matter in what we do as coaches, what we do as parents, what we do in a lot of our jobs as a supervisor, employer, is we try to get people to recall things. Whether recalling facts, whether drawing up emotions based on the words we use. So how we go about deploying words, deploying sentences, matters. So what I just gave you in the beginning here is a chunking example. So if you're a teacher out there, if you're a coach out there, and you're trying to get nine bits of information to your team, to your players, to your kids, to your students, nine individual files might not be the way to go. You might have to create chunking versions of where you can group them into sets of three like I did. You could group them into two sets of four, one set of one. It's up to you. You're smarter than me. And you can figure it out. But that's a little trick um, to help you remember that chunking is important, which will hopefully re you'll remember more of this podcast because I'm going to give you some more of that. This part one of Words Map is a deep dive into some of the history of what I've tried to do in recognizing that you know some of the failings I've had as a coach and trying to get better with my staff in recognizing how we roll out words matters and that's going to be this whole part one part two I'm going to get into some of the failings of words and some of the places that words come up short but today I want to really dive into and hopefully find some agreement with you out there maybe similarity and origin point hey Kip I turned on the podcast today you started talking about some failings in coaching and how you're trying to get better you hooked me. Hey, Kip, I'm a parent. I've got a 14-year, a 15-year-old and a 13-year-old and a 9-year-old at home like you do. And gosh, we're having a hard time getting them connection with the words we're saying. Uh, maybe that's where you draw in today. Maybe you're just going to draw in a methodology steal. Some things I share today that we've tried, you might try to take. Uh, but we're really experimenting with changing tactics in the podcast today about how we roll out words. And this is a fantastic matching po uh, starting point for that because it's a podcast. I can't use visuals here. I can only use the words. Um, so I'm going to try to be better at it as we go forward. And hopefully you can take away something because I've rolled out words the right way. Um, in full disclosure, I've done this presentation in a couple coaching clinics, especially during the pandemic. I think I did it three times for some coaching clinics. And hope, so hopefully I'm decent at it now. But I also don't have the benefit on this podcast of the visuals I used on the Zoom. Uh, so once again, words are going to have to matter. So over the course of the past three seasons, okay, past four now that I think about it, I've redeployed one of my my longest tenured assistant coach, Kevin McRae, from an assistant slash bench coach and doing stuff in practice as far as like executing drills with players to our quality control designation. And his entire job is to evaluate and assess how we coach, the, meaning the we being my other two assistants and myself. He is literally grading, chronalizing, chronologically, chrono, chronicling, chronicling is the word I'm looking for there, how we coach in practice, in games, in staff meetings. He's putting data to files and then trying to crunch analytics to improve our ability as a group to actually get movement in the direction we want from our players. Okay, Some of the things we've used in the past. Okay, before I dive into research I did to improve, is let me give you ideas and things we've used in the past. So coaches, um, if you're listening, you might steal one. Parents, you might uh, uh, change one of them because I've actually used them with my kids at home as well. Um, one of the things we try to do is he tracks talk to reps. So he literally has a phone, uh, he uses his phone, he uses clipboards, depends on the day, he uses his laptop, and he tracks. How long does it take you, Kip, the person who was running this transition drill. 
How long does it take you to get the drill set up with the players using your words, demonstrating the drill, and then launching it? How long does that take? How long do they get to rep, actually do the drill, before you open your mouth, use words, and stop it again? So we call this talk to reps ratio. And how many reps in that time that were uninterrupted by your mouth do your players get to do? We have tracked that. McCray has tracked that for us, and we go over it every week in practice in our staff meetings. Like, hey, what was our talk to reps? Where are we at? Chris, here's yours. Coach Cam, here's yours. Coach Kip, here's yours. And we go through it. So that's one thing we've tried to do is literally count how many seconds slash minutes we run our mouth explaining something. And then how long can we be quiet and not use words to interrupt it? Okay, so that's one thing we've tried to do. Next thing, in our findings there, over the last four to five years, we're at an average of about two and a half minutes of explanation. Um, well, I'm sorry, we started at about two and a half to two minutes and 45 seconds of talking, explaining a drill, and then about a minute 03 of actually shutting up and letting our guys do a drill. That's about four reps before we opened our mouth and ruined it again. Now, this last year, we greatly improved. We dropped that. It's like the fifth year of really worrying about this. We were down to 113 in explanation, a minute, 13 seconds in setting up, explaining, talking about what we wanted in a segment, and then about two minutes and 58 seconds, almost three straight minutes of them getting to play and do the actual segment without our words stopping it or our whistle stopping it. That equaled about 12 and a half reps. So we've improved over the course of time. One thing interesting out there, if you're a football coach, you guys kill us in this. Football coaches dominate us basketball coaches in this. I've been to Oregon State camp, lucky enough to know Kafense Hinson. He's been on the broad, uh, podcast. I've been to, obviously, Kane's practices in a number of different spots, UW, Montana State. Um, I've been to Willamette. Coach Isaac Parker's let me come to his practices. Football coaches are great at this. 24 seconds of what I've observed is the average football coach explanation, and about 243 of, rep, of minutes where they get to just play, the kids are playing, and 13 and a half reps. Okay, so that's baseline generic numbers okay that we use how much i'm talking and then how much i'm actually letting that letting the players show me that my words equaled something in their actions okay we've also tried to coach mac has used at the active learning time tracker so let's say i have player x and player x is struggling at making catch and shoot corner threes we know player x is struggling at making catch and through corner threes we talk about it all the time so then we go through the week and I say, hey, coach, after Thursday, we have Monday through Thursday prep week, how many times did we actually get player X reps at the skill we identified and how long was it? Okay, so it's active learning time tracker that we have actually said, hey, we know we've identified and how have we actually gone about trying to address the issue? Okay, and we got certain numbers there. We got numbers in individual player skill, seven reps in two minutes of dedicated time. We got team game plan numbers. We know this is what we want to do against Linfield. We averaged over the last couple of years 36 reps at that, nine minutes and 34 seconds in a given segment. Okay, so we're tracking when are we using words specifically towards a problem we've identified for an individual player. Something else I've done, and I've actually done this with my oldest children. So parents, you can cue back in. You don't have to worry about the coaching two things I just did. Think about this as a parent. If you just sat back, and I've sat on a bus, I've sat in a film room, and I haven't been the presenter, and I've just taken out a chart, or Coach Mack will do that during stretching lines. We don't tell them we're tracking their words. but we It's called the words and phrase frequency tracker. 
And we try to write down all the things we hear the most during the time, about 30 minutes to an hour. I've done this at other coaches' practices when I've been lucky enough to be invited or I ask permission to go to other sports practices. And I say, um, hey, coach, thank you for letting me come. Here's my the, your words and phrase frequency sheet. You can use a word cloud. You can do all kinds of things. But I've done this with my older two kids. I just sat in the living room. I didn't say anything as dad. And I just tracked and typed in what they said to each other for 30, 35 minutes. And you get back out. What is the most frequent things you hear people say? Okay. I'll give you an example. In a practice, the things we heard from our players the most was outlet. I got him. Take that. And another one, which was just this generic, hey, like H-E-Y. And they just said it a lot. And I showed it to them. And I tried to get them to say, guys, what do you mean when you say, hey, guys, what do you mean by take that? And there's these different connotations and different meanings that each guy had. But we really tried to dive into it because, back to the subject of this series in the podcast, words matter. My oldest two kids, when I was tracking this with them, there was a ton of direction given to one one another, very little appropriate, like, nice niceties to one another we went over like all you do is boss each other around there's very little actual communication happening but we use this as i don't know if my wife and i would say it was gigantically successful but it definitely led to a conversation of how we talk to one another so those are things we have done at willamette to try to be better at the utilization of words with our players to get to action. Because that's, that's really what it is as a coach. And really a lot of it as parents, some of it as employers, how do you use your words? How do you communicate to drive change in behavior? Okay, now, knowing that we haven't won a championship yet, so we gotta get better, I deep dove. I went into things and I bought the language of coaching book, I read articles online, and I was trying to figure out, as Coach Nick Winkleman says, the author, the art and science of teaching movement, as a coach, are you a signal or are you just noise? Or as a parent, are you a signal to your son or daughter to change behavior for the better? Or are you just background noise as they go about their day? Okay, and I found a ton of things in this research that I wanna to share today. Let me, let me start here. Are we programming or coaching in our profession, in our, in our parenting, in our job? We're usually very good at telling each other, hey, we did this drill. We, we're trying to teach this skill, and this is the scheme we believe in. So we use shell to teach trapping corners because we believe in pressure defense. So that's, that's an example of programming, okay, as a parent. We use timeouts to discipline kids to try to get them to make a better choice. So that's a, you can sh- we always share programming, but we very rarely ever address and tell each other, how did you actually do that? What was the coaching words and the sequencing you did with those words? to achieve those things. Don't tell me the drill. Tell me what you actually said to player B versus what you said to player Y and why you started with player B instead of player Y. We can always talk about the what with each other, but we often ignore the how. And I know I've done this, and I know I would love one of my friends or our couple friends to say, hey, as parents, we got the bedtime routine down, and these are the words and the actual phrases we think helped. And this is the time of night we said it. And this is when we said it before we actually tried it on. So that's what I mean by programming versus coaching is a thing. Uh, And the words we use, we don't share with each other enough. Okay, next one. And this is is a huge one that we've tried to be great at in our program the last couple of years. It's called Hicks Law. And Hicks Law means the time a person takes to make a decision 
is a function of the number of options available to them in making that decision. So how I frame this to you, imagine you're, let's take football, you're a quarterback and you've got three receivers on a route in one play and one receiver or run it as the choice on the other play. So on the first option, first play, you have three choices to throw it to plus a, you could run yourself. So that's four choices. The next play, you have either throw it to him or run. That's two choices. Hicks Law states that you'll most likely be faster at the second play in making that decision, right or wrong, because there's limited options for you to go through. So as a coach, how many options? As a parent, how many choices? As an employer, how many avenues of action are you laying out and then expecting quickly for them to process through? If you can, I know things are complicated. As you get older in life, more things become available. But it's your job in the words you choose and the way you present things to narrow choices, to try to find A or B decision-making for your players and your, for your kids as option, op often as possible. Okay, The more words you put into something is the more choices they have to decide to go through. So sometimes words matter and that less is more. And we can allow them, if we frame A and B, rather than, well, A, maybe B, maybe C, just don't forget about G, maybe F, those choices, if we can narrow them down, we can help them be quicker at those decisions. And as a coach, especially in the sports world, there are ways to do that. There are ways for us to shut our mouth quickly, for us to design schemes, design scenarios that are A, B choices that the kids can do quickly and they can be better at them. Okay. Lastly, and I think this one, especially for coaches out there, um, I think this is a huge one that we still need to improve at at Willamette, and we can all improve at, internal versus external focusing during your cues. And by cues, I mean when you actually are telling someone, I'm trying to change, let's say, take your basketball shot, I'm trying to change your shot for the better so it goes in more. Let me give you an example of an internal cue for shooting. Okay, an internal cue coaches out there, or parents, if you're teaching your son or daughter how to shoot, keep that angle in your wrist and be sure your elbow finishes extended. Okay, that's entirely internal as they're focused on their body. The research out there shows that that is not going to be as effective. So before you pull over your car and scream and yell at me and say, that's how my dad and I coached, great. It, it can work. It's slower and least likely, it's less likely to be as effective as trying to get the same result, a better shooting result with ex external cueing. And external cueing is your elbow needs to be below the ball and finish with your fingers pointed at the rim. Instead, it's telling you the same thing. But the internal said the angle in your wrist and your elbow is extended. So you're worrying about your body. The second one that led to the same exact result, your elbow needs to be below the ball. The ball is that external cue in the comparison for yourself and your fingers need to be pointed at the rim the rim is the external cue which still leads to what the first one wanted we got to be better in internal versus external cueing and how we use our words to get to those so let's say you want to build a better defender knees bent step wide with that foot and push with that one that's all internal it's not wrong the cues aren't wrong but it's internally focused okay a better way in our research that we've done is to say, get your chest in front of the ball and keep your head level to his chin. We've externally focused our athlete on the ball and the chin of his opponent rather than as internal, okay? Both, I'm sure there are examples of the internal working. We think external will be faster and more effective for more players, okay? Your cue makes them focus on their body, will slow them down. Your cue allows them to find focal point outside their body. It should speed up their learning, okay? 
Lastly, and this one, parents, oh my goodness, maybe teachers, if you're a teacher, educator, listening, or even if you're a presenter, like say you're an employer and you do a lot of staff meetings, okay? I know there's been a lot of times when you've probably said, God dang it, no one's paying attention. Their mind's just wandering. And you're right. You're absolutely right. But here's the thing. Humans are hardwired to mind wander 50% of the day. Something I didn't know. Had to look it up. If our minds didn't wander we would be bogged down with breathe, 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 breathe reminders and pump, 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 heart reminders and digest, 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 release it, release, release, release. All those internal body processes that need to just go without conscious thought are by needs to wander or we would be focused on those. So it needs to wander. So you can't yell at people in your meetings, in your team room, to your kids, hey man, stop. You're not paying attention. Your mind, your mind just wandering. Yep, it sure is. It has to. But now we all know that we have to gain attention at some point. And let me go through in order of least effective to most effective, the research and the science says that you should use your words. Here's one coach, mom, dad, frequency dependent change doesn't really help. That's how many times you've said it. Oh, I told you that. I told you that. I told you that. Okay. You say it 67 times by about the third, it's losing its independence. It's losing its efficacy slowly but surely. So yeah, frequency occasionally can work, but it's the least effective. Here's one, mom, dad, teacher, coach, boss, intensity dependent. I said it louder. I said it so loud. Maybe the first time. I have a teacher's voice. I get it from my dad. I know I've relied on it too much. Changing in intensity doesn't necessarily grab mind wandering. Okay, especially after the second or third time. They're used to your change in volume and they're not, affected, they're not affected by it anymore. So that's a big one. Those two, frequency and intensity is, is what we usually deploy as a dad, as a boss, as a teacher, as a coach. We got to change. Okay, Words matter. Novelty dependent. Okay, When, where you say things and how you say it, changing it up often can help because it's a new place. It's a new way. It's a new tone. It's a new setting. They'll remember it and dive into you quicker. Okay, and that's the second most effective way. Novelty dependent. Change the environment, change the time, change the setting. And then finally, context dependent. Can you please show me, Dad, how this direct, directly affects me? Can you please show me, Coach, how this play for us? What parts of it directly affect me? Because context grabs people. Okay, so self-scout yourself. Am I a frequency coach? Do I just say things a lot and expect them to know it better? Am I an intensity coach? Okay, do I find myself saying, we went over this 23 freaking times. How'd we forget it? Coach, I'll tell you how we forget it because you use the least effective way to grab me with your words. You use frequency. Okay, so we can change. We can be better. Words matter, especially if you add novelty to it, especially if you add context dependency to it. Okay, all those guys lead me to asking you at the end of the podcast here, how can you use the information I just rolled out to improve your usage of words. Little small things we've tried at Willamette. Okay, we have a, uh, one of my assistants is entirely in charge of dynamics. So his job is to hopefully help us prevent injury through a dynamic active warmup. Okay, and one of the things we've done in that, and he's done a great job embracing what I just talked to you about, is novelty. He's tried to change up when and where we do dynamics. So not necessarily the time and practice, because I think it's important to do it before, but where. Sometimes we're on the baseline. Sometimes we're on the sideline. Sometimes we're in the corners. Okay. Sometimes we're upstairs. Sometimes we're downstairs. He's done a nice job of, a, of addressing novelty and setting. 
Okay, and this past year, I tried to add to that by changing up. Okay, yes, we're going to do the first six minutes of the usual high knees, groin, all this stuff, leg swings. But then I'm going to add competitive tag games to it. Not the same tag game ever twice. I'm going to try to make it different as much as I can and lean on people on the internet and TikTok to share great tag games because I think tag is true agility. It's a whole other podcast. But we'll do one because tag matters. Tag's individual, me versus you. Our team versus your team. So now we're getting context and novelty because it's new. So that's one of the ways we've tried to go about addressing this research that we've done. Okay. We've tried to ut utilize and weaponize little tricks. Okay. Little mind tricks being, hey, guys, chunking the exercise I just did with you. Let's do that one. Hey, guys, check out this where I've got one of your teammates standing straight up and I try to pull down on his arm. and He's super strong anyway, so I can't pull him down. But then I tell him to count backwards from 90 from 100 by seven. And I also want him to be standing and hopping on one foot when I try to grab him and pull him down. That's an example of Hicks law. Okay. Bunch of different actions happening at the same time. It's harder to keep focus on one thing. So he's not as good and I easily pull him off balance. So just little things like that that'll grab them in the moment because it's novelty. It's new, but I can still get my message across. Now, I am not telling you that I am perfect at not utilizing frequency and intensity over and over. I still try to have, I lean on that a lot. In parenting, we tried to come up with different places to have deep conversations. If you bring them to the dinner table over and over and over, yes, you're creating kind of a normalcy, like this is where we have deep conversations, but we're also, we're getting into frequency questions where this is the same thing over and over again, Dad. So we've tried to do it on walks. We've tried to do it in the car. We've tried to do it at a restaurant to bring in novelty to the scenario. Now, I'm not, once again, I'm not a master in all these. We're all masters in the making, so we must, must remain students engaging. But if words matter, then we need to be very, very cognizant of why they matter and how we can make them matter the most. Sometimes it involves shutting up. <laughs> Sometimes it involves being purposeful and thinking about what we're going to say as before we roll it out. Um, and so I, I hope today this, this presentation helped you, whether you're a coach, probably more lean toward that group, whether you're a parent, definitely some nuggets we think can help you there. And if you're a teacher or an employer, there's things in there that can help as well. Cross the streams, words matter, part one. Content reminder. The opinions expressed on today's episode are those of the hosts and guests alone and should not be viewed as reflective of the opinions of the institutions or employers of the hosts and guests.